Hello, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. This is a safe space where mamas can talk openly about their highs and lows of motherhood and to look deeper into who they are as women and their journey into motherhood. We may agree and disagree or cry and laugh, but one thing for sure is we will learn from one another and have a great time. So sit back and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. I'm joined by Carly and Simran, um, who are two doctors, I believe, which will go into what your occupations are. So Carly, why don't you introduce yourself first and then we'll go, you know, then Simran, you can join in. Yep. Um, so I'm Carly Parazio. I'm actually a nurse practitioner. I've been a nurse since 2008, so 12 years. Um, I've been a nurse practitioner since 2012. Okay. Um, so eight years. Um, Simran and I both are palliative care clinicians and we'll get into a little bit about what that means and how we got there. Um, I'm a mom of two boys, um, ages almost four and almost two. They're very, very wild. Um, <laughs> they keep me on my toes, but I wouldn't have it any other way. So yeah, that's very cool. Quick, quick and dirty. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Simran. Um, so my name is Simran Maholtra. I'm um, a palliative care physician. Um, I guess I, I'm actually originally Canadian. So I moved to Maryland in 2012 for a residency, um, which I completed in internal medicine. Um, I met my husband during residency. Um, we got married at the end of residency. Um, and after that, I ended up going to Hopkins to do a one-year fellowship for um, hospice and palliative care. Mm -hmm. um, and so for the last four years and up until January of this year, Carly and I were um, actually working together um, at uh, one of the MedStar hospitals um, as palliative care clinicians. Um, and I, along with Carly, kind of back to back, we have kids at the same time. So my daughter is three and a half and my son is, he just turned two. Ooh, so you guys have two back to back. I only have one. I was telling Carly, I have a son. He'll be three in November. And I think where 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 one is good for us. Um, I sometimes go back and forth. If maybe we'll have a second one, but we'll see. But wow, how do you, I mean, you guys have very demanding careers. And just briefly tell me, how do you balance that with being essential workers and being in the medical field? Yeah, we, we were actually um, both pregnant with our second at the same time, which was super fun um, in a lot of ways. Um, for me, I think one of the, the main ways I'm able to balance is palliative care in general is very heavy on self-care. It's very heavy on achieving a good work-life balance because of um, what we do is difficult work. Um, but for me personally, um, I've worked part-time since my first son was born. And for me, that really helps to create a good work-life balance. Um, it would be very difficult to work in palliative medicine five days a week because it's not just eight hour days. It goes beyond that to sometimes answering calls later or doing notes or bringing notes home. Um, so it can be very encompassing. Um, so to have that very clear separation of my work life and my mom life um, is a very good balance for me personally. Well, that's good. What about you, Simran? Um, so for me, I just recently transitioned to uh, part-time, um, but pretty much since I've gone to med school into residency I, I 
basically was working full-time and beyond. Mm -hmm. um, my husband is a critical care doctor, mm -hmm. um, so his schedule is 10 times as demanding as mine. So up until January of this year, um, actually maybe a little earlier, I was on a visa because as I mentioned, I was Canadian, so I didn't really have a choice but to work full-time. Um, and so all our families back home in, in Canada. So I, I can say up until January of this year, we struggled a lot with that work-life balance. It was, it was really hard. Um, but then, you know, we, once I got kind of my visa situation sorted out and I'm on my way to kind of a green card, I was allowed to shift my uh, schedule and it was a very easy decision for us. And, you know, we're blessed that financially we can afford to have one of us be home more. Um, so I am part-time now. For a little while there, I went back to more hours with the last four months of COVID craziness, but now I'm back to my regular schedule, which again, like Carly said, um, we can go into a little bit about what we do for a living. Which I was just gonna, that was gonna be the next question of what is palliative care and what do you, how do you, how did you ladies even come together? Well, I know you said you work together, but go ahead and go into what palliative care is. Yeah, so we um, we basically work in a hospital setting um, and we are consultants um, and we see patients who are seriously ill um, with life-threatening diseases and we help them with a few things. We help them with kind of helping them understand their overall disease state. Mm -hmm. um, we help them with uncontrolled symptoms like pain or nausea, vomiting, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And we help them kind of just address their overall goals of care for their, for their treatment, uh, for their disease, but also just their life. Um, and so we spend a lot of time, um, sometimes hours at a time sitting with families and just listening. Um, we're often the first to actually do that. Um, and so, we actually, um, sometimes I tell Carly, like, I feel less like a doctor sometimes. I'm more like um, a social worker, yeah, therapist, counselor, social worker, because it, a lot of what we do is just listening and empathizing. And um, so as Carly said, it's, it can be very emotionally heavy because we don't, a lot of people think like, oh, we only take care of older people because that's what you think of when you think of hospice care, palliative care. But um, in this country, like people are chronically ill from a very young age. And so we, you know, especially at the hospital that Carly's at now, I actually moved to another hospital. We're in the same system still, but the hospital that we originally were at together um, is, is very heavy um, in cancer care. And so we saw a lot of young patients in their 30s and 40s. And so as young moms taking care of another young mom with advanced cancer, you can imagine like how difficult that that would be. And so self-care is, is something that, something that actually um, became really important in my life when I met Carly, because we kind of became like, um, dependent on each other or we, we, we became accountability partners, right? So like every now and then, like one of us would be more motivated than the other because one would have something going on than the other. So we would kind of keep each other afloat and we would come up with fun challenges or let's do this, let's do that. And that's kind of where, how our journey got us to where we are today. And, and it's really still just the beginning of where we want to go. So. It was actually, you know, really not an accident, but, you know, it, it was a blessing in disguise that we met. I was never intended to work at the hospital that I'm at now. Um, I was actually at, we have a, we work in a 10 hospital um, system. So, 
Um, I was working at one of our sister hospitals. I was very, very happy there. Um, I had no intentions on leaving anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And our medical director said, can you go to the hospital that I'm at now and cover Simran while she goes to matern for maternity leave? I said, sure, fine. Why not? But mark my words, I'm not staying there. I, I'm coming back. <laughs> and I never went back. <laughs> of course, they never say never. <laughs> then she met me, and then we basically yeah. became soul sisters. And so. basically, that's awesome. So, what made you get into? And you can palliative care because that is, I'm sure, very emotionally draining. And I was going to say it sounds very similar to hospice, which unfortunately I'm familiar with. I've had, um, you know, a lot of people in my family had to gone um, to go on hospice care. What made you go towards that direction? For me, it when I was doing bedside nursing, um, so I again I've worked in the same medical system since I was a nurse, since I was a baby, basically. Um, and our mentor who leads the program that we're a part of, you know, I've known him for a very, very long time since I was a bedside nurse. I've always admired him. I've um, always admired some of our other colleagues who are, you know, still colleagues to us. Um, and thought, wow, you know, that's something I would like to do one day. Um, I, I always thought that it was a, a very um, unique and special time to share with somebody at the end of life. You know, as a bedside nurse, I did a lot of that um, when people would pass away in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd gotten away from it because I did primary care once I finished my nurse practitioner degree. So I was working in an outpatient setting and I'll never forget it. I, I got this random call while I was seeing a, seeing a patient saying, we're expanding our program. Would you like to be a nurse practitioner with us? And I was like, sure. I love everybody that works there. Um, I would love to do that. And so I made the change and I really never looked back. So um, I've always been kind of fortunate in my career that everywhere I've been, I think I've, I've been guided there for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, I've never really gone into a job blind, like looking for jobs on the internet and had to interview. It's like, uh, it's always fallen into my lap um, just because it was, I was at the right place at the right time. And it, serendipity. Yeah. It, it, it was always felt like a good fit. Everywhere I've been in my career has always felt like a really good fit. And the reasons I've left is because it kind of just naturally transitioned to the next opportunity. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so how did Honestly Holistic begin? Honestly Holistic is something that we have been talking about starting this blog. Um, and, and our blog is not even yet fully up, but our Instagram pages. But it's something that we started talking about maybe during our the time we were pregnant together with our second. Um, so the background there is this, that I, so my personal journey of kind of health and wellness to where we are now is, is kind of the, the beginning of how we got to honestly holistic. And then Carly has her reasons as to why she got here. But um, for me personally, I have a very um, strong family history of, of cancer. Um, my mom was first diagnosed with breast cancer at 33 and then again at 49. Um, and then a lot of other cancer in the family. Um, so she actually ended up um, finding out that she was a genetic mutation carrier, um, which um, the mutation is called BRCA1. So mm -hmm. it's a hereditary breast cancer and ovarian cancer gene. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was 25, just, uh, I guess that was before the end of residency, um, I got tested for the gene. It was just about uh, before I was about to get married. I, I was positive. 
I also had the BRCA1 gene. And um, I, I guess at that point in my life, I was going into palliative care. I'd already finished my residency. So I'd already seen a lot of cancer, a lot of chronic illness. And for me, it was kind of like, okay, now I have this gene that gives me an 87% lifetime risk of breast cancer. Like, what can I do to, and I'm about to get married, like start my life. What can I do to start a family? Yeah. And what, what can I do to decrease my risk? And so I came across this book um, called How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger. And it's basically a, a um, evidence-based book on nutrition. And that book basically was the beginning of my life, really. Um, it's, it's changed my entire life. Um, and so at that point, um, I became vegetarian. Um, and then over the next four years now, it's, it's just been kind of one step to the next in terms of like learning things about lifestyle and, and shocking me to all the things that I never learned in medical school. Which um, I was going to ask you about that. And Carly, before we talk about your journey into that, and it would, this would then be a twofold question to you, being in the medical field, how does that, because I know you're, you're kind of taught science, you're taught one way, what is that like? And I guess maybe you do have the best of both worlds because you're seeing, you know, um, educating yourself of how to not heal within, but eat right and, um, you know, educate yourself holistic of how to live holistically. But how does that mess with your brain of saying, okay, but I've learned this in medical school. Like what, how do you, yeah. How is the, the two, you know, how do you bring the two together? Because I know some people who are specifically in science and they're like, no, like I had a midwife and doctors tend not to work with midwives because, you know, they're very set in, you know, no, we, you shouldn't have a midwife and all these things that we hear, especially within the United States. So how do you balance that? I guess. Yeah, I mean, Carly can tell you how she got to here, and then we can tell you how okay. we kind of navigate Perfect. our world. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, um, so for me, I, I've kind of, I've always grown up um, in a household with an emphasis on eating well. Um, different from how I eat today, but like I didn't have a lot of the snacks that other kids had or the sodas, you know, things that um, a lot of people eat as a part of the standard American diet were um, treats to me. And so I've always kind of had the mindset of eating healthfully, taking care of yourself. Um, right after I graduated college, I actually was vegetarian for two years. Um, after I had, you know, just read about from an animal rights perspective and a health mm -hmm. perspective. Um, but I can't say that I actually really understood still how to eat healthy. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I had cut out meats, but I was still eating a lot of processed carbohydrates and cheeses and dairy focused because, you know, well, if you're not eating meat, well, God, what are you, what are you going to eat? Um, <laughs> Where are you going to get your protein currently? Yeah, right, exactly. exactly. Where are you get protein? Yeah. Um, so I eventually came back to eating meat. Um, always still, you know, I was always very interested in meal planning and working out. And so I was still incorporating a lot of vegetables, but still heavy on meat and dairy. Um, and then when my first son was born, um, he had really severe colic and reflux. And um, I had read a, a lot about and our pediatrician had recommended cutting dairy and as well as soy out of his diet. Um, and eventually that had led to cutting out eggs and beef as well after I had kind of started to make the links between what I was putting into my body and how his body was responding. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and after he, he weaned from breastfeeding, um, I, I did reintroduce dairy to myself, but not as heavily as I'd had it before. And then um, I learned that if you have had one child with dairy intolerance, your second child is, you know, there's a higher risk that they may have the same. Mm-hmm. And so when I was pregnant with my second, I automatically cut out dairy. I automatically cut out eggs in preparation for, yeah, this, this new baby that I was going to be breastfeeding. Um, it turned out that his reflux was even worse, even though I hadn't had any of those things. So um, anyway, I breastfed him for 14 months, uh, but just never went back. And then, you know, during this time, my friendship and my work relationship with Simran was evolving. And just from working and being around each other for such a large amount of time, you know, I would see what she was eating or I would hear, um, you know, she would share pieces of knowledge with me and I was very intrigued by that. And so I started doing more reading of my own. Um, I also read How Not to Die. And that really is is kind of how my transition to plant-based life evolved. Um, we always say progress, not perfection. I did not make a cold turkey change. This was a change over many, many years. Yeah. Um, and even more up until recently, I was still eating um, more vegan you know, foods, not necessarily health foods, but processed vegan foods. And I've pretty much completely cut out added sugars, oils, um, anything processed. And so it's really been a journey. Um, I feel like I'm starting to reach that phase of enlightenment, so to speak, um, where I'm really starting to understand my body and the foods that I'm putting into it and what they're doing for us. And I just, now I feel like I know the way and I, like, I want to be spreading this word to everybody that will listen to me. Yeah, of course. And it's important because I think when we're ingrained, especially living in the United States of the processed foods and it's um, convenience over necessarily, you know, healthy, you know, whether it's the medication, whether it's Papa microwavable, I mean, it's just what has been ingrained in us. So I can imagine it taking a long time for it to be like, no, because it's so easy when I'm hungry and I'm like, oh gosh, I have to leave. And I'm like, oh, let me run to Chick-fil-A. And in my mind, I'm like, I know I really shouldn't be needing this, but I'm starving and I woke up late to get to work. So (laughs) I get it. So tell me now, how does that bridge between you guys in scientific and what you've learned being um, in the medical field and being holistic? I mean, I think interestingly for us, we come from a field, so hospice and palliative care is not very well understood by the general public, but also our colleagues in the medical field. A lot of people think hospice and palliative care are synonymous. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times when we're consulted, the person is usually already at the end of life. So they're already ready for hospice care, you know, the last several days or weeks of life. So majority of the patients we see are there. Yet what we actually do in palliative care is we should be consulted at the time of diagnosis of a serious illness to kind of help the person, you know, through that process while they're getting, you know, the chemotherapy, the radiation, the surgery to help them optimize their quality of life, to control their symptoms. So, but yet a lot of times when people think palliative care, they don't think that. Yeah, they think the end. And so because the, the physicians and the doctors think that patients think that or the general population thinks that and so it's interesting as we kind of merged our passion for lifestyle medicine with you know what we're really good at which is palliative care there's a lot of similarities so lifestyle medicine being you know the the six pillars of lifestyle that have been shown to prevent reverse and treat 80% of chronic disease in this country. So mostly a whole food plant-based diet, 
movement or exercise, mm -hmm. stress management, healthy relationships, sleeping well, and then avoiding risky substances. And so it in, in so my, simple, right? Yeah. It sounds so and, simple. And, and yet and so the thing is though, that's why it's called a lifestyle, right? It's it's not your next fad or your next trend or the new year diet or the, you know, I'm gonna do this to get the summer body. Like Carly said, it's progress, not perfection. Um, and I, I think to your comment of like, how do you navigate kind of conventional medicine? I think in conventional medicine, everything is so heavily evidence-based. And the thing of it is, is that lifestyle medicine is heavily science-based. So there are studies going back to the 1980s showing how a whole food plant-based diet can reverse coronary artery disease without needing a stent or without needing some of the aggressive treatment. So I think there's a difference between lifestyle medicine um, and, for example, um, alternative and complementary medicine um, or integrative medicine, because not um, although integrative medicine is more evidence-based, alternative and complementary medicine, not so much. So they are different. Sure. Um, and so I, I, I think, like Carly said, people are are watching what's happening there's a lot of burnout in medicine um, because every time someone comes back there you know you added a drug the last time you increased the drug the last time they already just had that procedure three months ago and now they need it again like people are seeing or doctors and nurse practitioners are seeing that patients are not getting better and that's leading to compassion fatigue and burnout on our part and so lifestyle medicine in my mind is is the way of the future um it's, it's and ironic too because when we're you know in school um when i was in np school when you're learning about how to treat hypertension or high cholesterol or diabetes the first intervention you're supposed to recommend to a patient are lifestyle change you give them x amount of time of lifestyle change unless it's you know emergent mm -hmm. that you know they need to be on a medication now sure. or going to die like three to six months yeah three to six, yeah exactly and but they don't teach us what that is you know they do but not to the extent that lifestyle medicine would teach you so it's you know and when you're in a primary care practice and you have 15 minutes to see a patient and you say well just eat healthy or you know eat in moderation patients don't know what that means and so, providers don't know really know what that means either so how do you and i guess and I see your page, which I love. I love how you actually have um, examples of things that you can eat, right? Because I think that's the biggest thing because like you said, like I just had processed, like I didn't realize it was processed, but I had the field roast that, um, vegan sausage, which we love, but I'm like, but that's still processed, right? Yeah. It's still a processed thing. So I'm like, is it healthy? Is it not? But so I love how your page, how you're, you know, you have examples of what to do, but I guess, the same way midwives wish, and again, I have I had a midwife, I had a home birth, so um, I am holistic in a, in a sense. I always try and do um, Western medicine, I guess you would call it, or yeah, first, before I automatically give antibiotics, like that's just how my husband and I, you know, I try to limit the amount of, um, I guess, prostate medication we put in our bodies, but the way midwives say that they would love to work with OBGYNs and that if they would take the um, healthy non- um, not non-invasive, but um, the low-risk pregnancies that, you know, if they work together, do you guys see, as you said, Simran, of the future of lifestyle, I guess, um, uh, doctors, I guess what it would call, and um, 
I, I forget the term that you use, working together of saying, okay, we can treat it and have, as you said, it's a quick 15 minute you know, conversation to where patients can actually see a doctor like yourself or a nurse practitioner like yourself and be like, okay, well, help me get better. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the way things are going to change are, um, for example, a lot more um, doctors and nurse practitioners are showing interest in this. So now there's actually a board exam for it oh, wow. um, that we're both actually taking in November. So now we'll be board certified lifestyle medicine clinicians. Um, so I, I think a lot of people are showing interest to learn themselves. And then once I know something, I'm going to teach it to, you know, 10 other people. And it's kind of a ripple effect. And then, you know, I think on a state level and even it kind of translates even higher up. So, for example, in the state of D.C. or in the district of D.C., mm -hmm. um, one of the things that they're working on is to make it mandatory for physicians to have part of their um, credentialing and their recertification process is that they have to have things called CME. So it's like continuing education. Sure. So part of that is going to be required to be in nutrition. Um, so I think things are slowly changing, um, but I, I think with what happened with COVID and kind of this overnight transformation with telemedicine, I think it's going to be a lot easier for us to reach people. Um, the biggest, I think, thing is going to be obviously compensation. So right now that's kind of where we're where the Board of Lifestyle Medicine or the American College of Lifestyle Medicine is really working hard to, to um, advocate um, for, for compensation. For us, personally, I mean, I love what I do in palliative care. These are the people that need the most support from mm -hmm. a, um, a whole person, holistic approach, if you will, right? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, that's what we do. And so I'm definitely not looking to move away from that. I'm looking to kind of merge my passion for lifestyle medicine with palliative care so that, like I said, if I'm consulted at the time that young girl is given the diagnosis of stage three breast cancer, we, sure. can start, we can start then to start talking about, okay, what lifestyle habits can we use to help, you know, reverse and even prevent this cancer from coming back while you get chemotherapy? You know, we're not, certainly not saying that people should not choose conventional therapies. I think different things work for different people. I mm -hmm. think the thing that most people don't know is that the easiest ways to reverse treat and prevent disease are right in front of us. And most of them are free aside from actually having to buy food. So the food you eat, the way you move, the mm -hmm. way you manage stress, the relationships you have, the way you sleep, those are all things that are in our control and don't necessarily cost money. And so that's why, again, it's, it's kind of a lifestyle and one change, like Carly said, progress, not perfection, one change at a time. No, absolutely. Um, as moms, um, yeah, like what, have, what, what things have you done as far as lifestyle medicine for your children? Like if they've gotten sick and things like that. Yeah. So for me, um, it's, it is not always easy to find the balance. Um, my children were not always plant-based. My oldest has had meat. He's had chicken nuggets. Um, and we transitioned to a plant-based diet a year ago. So he was two. Um, so much easier than if he were eight or 10, but still had its challenges because he had already had a taste of things that, excuse me, kids are very used to having. And so 
again, progress, not perfection. Um, we would just, you know, introduce things at a time. Um, you'll hear us say, or you'll read on our page, offer, offer, offer. We um, would always offer certain things at meals. And if you didn't eat it, that's okay. Um, and as we transition and as my husband came more on board, I realized it's not about, you know, the fanciest meals, but finding things that my kids like. So, um, you know, I knew, uh, well, my son has always been a pretty good eater. So it wasn't terribly difficult. He had been very, you know, he tries most things that I put in front of him. He likes veggies. He's not a terribly picky eater. But I think that's also because I've been giving him a lot of fruits and veggies from the get-go. Um, nothing was ever off limits in our house for him. So really honing in the, on the things that he really enjoys and mm -hmm. using that to my benefit. So noodles, you know, what kid doesn't love noodles? Um, finding recipes to make my own plant-based cheese so that he could still have mac and cheese, which we do all the time. And then incorporating things that I can hide into dishes so that he's still getting nutritional benefits. So um, blending in white navy beans to that mix to add, you know, a source of legumes as well. Um, so really just being creative. Um, and I also talk to my kids about what they're eating. Um, and now my oldest is old enough to where he will start to ask and he'll say, mommy, what's in a strawberry? And so we'll talk about what well, antioxidants and they're really good for your body and they help to prevent you from getting sick. And so you know, kids are smarter than we think. So when they ask questions, I answer them honestly. And I, I talk about what they're putting in their body. But I also, um, I, I try not to be incredibly restrictive to where they're, they're going to, you know, have a hard time with it. So we eat sweets. We, we find plant, whole food plant-based recipes for brownies and ice cream. And, you know, it's, we're still enjoying many, many things that most other families enjoy but just in a much healthier version. And modified healthier version. And yeah. I think that's important because I think um, if, you, if you hold back and you don't introduce it in some way, then when they do see it, then it's like an all out, you know, that they're like, no, I want this and that. Um, yeah. The stage that we're at with my son is he just is not in the mood to eat. Like, he's just like, I'm not hungry. Like mm -hmm. he, he doesn't want anything. And then there's some days he surprises us and he's like, I want to eat all of this. So that's at the stage that we're at. And I keep reminding myself, as you said, to have patience, to keep trying to not get um, so frustrated. Um, my mom always tells me if, when he's hungry, he will eat. And he does. And I'll try and give him smoothies. The one good thing is that he loves fruits. Um, my husband is Jamaican and Guyanese. I'm Puerto Rican and Italian. So <laughs> fruits, you know, like we have a June plum tree, we have mangoes. So thankfully, because I know he could still get a lot of nutrients in those fruits. Um, occasionally vegetables. So I, you know, as you said, progress, not perfection, which I love to have kind of some grace on myself and say he'll get there. But as long as I keep in introducing and m myself um, set a good example, right? So, you know, not always getting um, Chick-fil-A, you know, like I said, and things like that, but um, having grace with it. So Cameron cooks a lot with her kids too. So she can tell you about that. But oh that's, yeah, go ahead. That's as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think from a, a lifestyle perspective, first, I'll get to the food in a second, um, but from a lifestyle perspective, like I said, my husband works a lot, um, and so when I'm alone with the kids, um, a lot of times it's hard to say, I'm going to exercise, but we will put on a video on YouTube, or we'll put something on the TV, and we'll exercise together, we'll dance together, we'll, so just kind of, I, I think the biggest thing I've learned um, with my daughter especially 
is they will do as they see and not as they're told. The more you tell them to do something, the less likely they are, they are to do it, especially at the age that all of our kids are at. And so the more I do something and say, hey, do you want to do this? Or whenever she's ready, she'll come. She gets really into it. Um, so, you know, we, we'll, we'll exercise together. We'll do some breathing before we go to bed. We'll do some gratitude before we go to bed. We have a lot of books on mindfulness. So again, like doing it with them, it, it all, it, it's like two birds with one stone kind of thing. Cause you're teaching them, but then you're also getting your practice in. Sure. Right. Um, and so I think diet for me is just the number one most important thing in our life just because of the genetic predisposition. Um, and also knowing that there's a 50% chance that I've given her this and my son. So something you're very, you're, you're self are mindful of and saying, no, we have to do this. Yeah. And I'm very passionate about it just because I, I truly believe, you know, and, and just seeing what's happening in this country. I mean, sure, we're in a pandemic right now, but there's been so many longstanding epidemics in this country that have been growing for the last couple of decades that we're just not paying enough attention to. Sure. Um, you know, one of them, which I'm very passionate about being childhood obesity, you know, it's just wild to me that pediatricians are now having to learn how to treat high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, because kids that are 10, 11, 12, 13 years old are, are having to be, are, are getting treated for these conditions. Sure. Um, and Which is so disheartening because like you said, it's, they're so young. And so that's why, like, from the very first day that they're born, everything that goes into their body, it, it really translates into the blueprint that is going to be either health or disease, right? And, and, and many people think, like, oh, I can eat whatever I want when I'm a kid because I'll, I'll get disease doesn't happen until you're old, right? That's just not true anymore. And so for me, from a gen, from from the genetic predisposition standpoint, and then from just a global like a, a public health standpoint, what's happening in America with kids? It, I'm very passionate about food, um, and also like the the um, so food suboptimal food intake is the number one risk factor for for dying of a chronic disease. So say that again. Repeat that again. What is suboptimal? Um, food, so your diet or the foods you eat is the number one risk factor for dying of a chronic disease. So a lot of people think like to be healthy, I need to exercise. Like we put a lot of emphasis. a lot of emphasis on exercise, and exercise is super important. But people don't realize yeah. that food is the biggest kind of impact when it comes to um, your health yeah. and prevention of chronic disease. So for me. I've, I've been very passionate from the very beginning. I, I, I went pretty much, we transitioned to uh, veganism in 2018. Um, but still, like Carly said, like we did a lot of transition foods, like, cause my husband, you know, was really raised on a meat and potatoes diet. He's from French Canada. So for him, it was, it was a slow transition, but he was also very passionate because of, of my risk. And so um, we did a lot of transition foods. We, we figured out what we loved first, right? We didn't just like cold turkey it. We found our favorite vegan pizza. We found our favorite vegan alternatives for everything. And then when my kids were born, pretty much they've been plant-based since the very beginning. Um, and so for Sophie, she's three and a half now, and she is like a little chef. Like she loves to cook. So she has her own kitchen. And then she, she, everything I cook, she cooks. And, and then we just finished actually a four week 
a cooking camp. So all the kids were like ages eight to 10 and she was three and a half and like doing everything everyone was that doing. Amazing. You yeah. need to do videos of that, yeah. of, oh, of it's, her, it's, of- It's actually on my so Instagram. Inspirational. Yeah. So, and she loves it. I mean, she'll point out all the ingredients. She'll tell you what everything is. And so I think we, like Carly said, we don't give enough credit to our kids. I think um, when they see us eating healthy. So if I'm, if it's, it's just not fair, right? If I force my kids to eat broccoli, but at the same time I'm eating pizza, there's no way they're going to eat the broccoli. Right. Um, and so I, I, I think the other word you used was grace. Um, and so I've never been, you know, I've, I've been blessed that my kids are good eaters. They love to eat, but I've never been um, so hard on myself to say like, oh, like you have to eat this or you have to eat that. It's more like offer them a variety of plant, like a variety of different foods. And we focus like a lot on vegetables, beans, legumes, fruits. Yeah. So a lot of different things um, and, and just let them pick and choose, right? So put it on their plate and let them pick and choose. But one kind of rule, I guess we do have is if there's something new on her plate, she has to just try it. And if she likes it, she can eat it. If she doesn't like it, then that's okay. And, and the caveat to that is um, a lot of times people will offer a food and then the child will reject it. And then it's like, okay, that one's out, yep. right? We're going to, we're going to drop it. But really I think the, the, the science behind it is that it takes like 10 to 15 tries of a food to actually develop the taste for it. So I'll tell, I mean, like, for example, my kids' favorite foods are olives, um, mushrooms, like seaweed, like they eat so those, those are like oddest things. Very, very particular taste. And flavors, yeah. But so kids, I mean, kids are very resilient and they are very much more adventurous than we give them credit for. So, and maybe even they're just not in the mood. Sometimes I just tell myself, yeah, I'm like, exactly. I'm not in the mood for what I've made. And I'm like, that's okay. And that's what I keep telling myself. I think, again, we're so programmed to think it has to be one way. If they're not eating this, if they're not eating that. Um, and that has really helped me where I'll sit there. I'm like, maybe he's just not in the mood because like I said, then he'll surprise me. I'll have leftovers three nights, right? The same. And I'll say, pick and choose. And by the third night, my husband's ready to eat it. And he's like, no, I want it. And I'm like, but three days ago, I've offered yeah. and he just didn't want it. And now he wants it. Yeah. So seeing that, I'm like, well, you know, those little things and it'll click. And I'm like, okay, well then we just got to keep trying, keep going like normal when he'll, he'll join in and come in when he um, can. Now you mentioned that's, COVID. Um, that's, I'll just say one more thing. That's also sure. where I, I have found that ever since my daughter, my son's still too young, but ever since my daughter's gotten more involved with the process, she's more inclined to eat it, even if it's something new, mm -hmm. right? Um, and kids love kind of that positive reinforcement. So there's a lot of stuff out there. And, you know, we personally have a subscription box for um, this club yeah, called awesome. Veggie, Veggie Buds Club. So it's like one veggie of the month and they send crafts and recipes and all that kind of stuff. And it's great. We've had it for about three months. We've loved it so far, um, but there, there's a positive reinforcement chart on there where this month was tomato month, and she knows that if she eats tomatoes, she's going to get a sticker on her chart. And like kids love to feel like they've succeeded, and they like to be celebrated. And so we, we, we really reinforce that. Like if she gets a sticker, it's a big deal. No, right? absolutely. They, so, want they want to feel needed. They want to feel 
they matter. They want to feel valued. They want to help. It's like they're perfect little innocent human beings, right? That they just want to help. They just want to be there. Yeah. Um, and so if you ask them like, okay, Sophie knows it's tomato month. So it's kind of like, okay, Sophie, what should we make for dinner today? Like if you ask them like, what do you want to eat? I think they're more likely to eat it. Well, that's awesome. No, so and that's then you the have her thinking like, well, what is in a tomato? Well, tomato sauce. So can we make this? So that's cool that then she has to think outside the box and say, what things um, can I eat with tomatoes? I like mm -hmm. that. You're going to have to give me, I'm going to, you're going to have to message me that because I think that sounds awesome. Um, so you mentioned COVID. We are in very, very crazy, stressful, um, just very weird times right now. I don't even know where to begin to ask you from that. So maybe if you just want to jump right in and say what you've learned through it, what have you seen? Um, you know, it's interesting because I saw you ladies put some, you know, wearing your mask and you mentioned Dr. Fauci. I know someone, and I'm not going to get too much into the negative aspect of it. Who's a nurse. She thinks Dr. Fauci is no good. She thinks mask who she's a nurse. She's a nurse practitioner. Um, but she completely went holistic, but too so much that she's like, we shouldn't wear a mask. They actually prevent you more. Like she's all the way. Um, and it's unfortunate because I'm like, wow, like, you know, of what she's, you know, um, I guess none of what she believes, but then I saw you ladies and I saw, saw you wearing your mask and I'm like, wow, and you're into holistic and lifestyle medicine. So tell me, debunk what's out there. Tell me what you've learned and not to get too, you know, political and all of that other side, but there's a lot going on with people taking sides of mass, no mass. So you have your platform. <laughs> you know, I think, I think for us, one definition to clarify is what does holistic mean to us? Oh, okay. Um, because ho That's holistic true. to us, it, it's, it's still very evidence and science based. It just means, and this is where, again, it's very deep rooted in what we do in palliative care. Holistic to us means addressing the whole person, mm. right? So like I said, the, the physical, the mental, the emotional, sure. spiritual, the whole person. Um, not so much like this treatment versus that treatment. If there's evidence and there's science behind it, we will support it. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean like we do every single thing um, natural because that may not be the best. Like, for example, I've, I've never been a big fan of bleach. Okay. It's just never been a big, a big thing in our house. But now with COVID and my husband being a critical care doctor and myself going sometimes to the hospital, like it is something that we're using on our shoes and use it, you know? So again, it's, it's holistic to us is, is kind of an important definition. It um, is. And that's a good point. Yeah. So Carly, go ahead. I'll, I'll chime in. Yeah. And, and to piggyback on that, um, when you, that's why when you look at our, our tag, honestly, holistic, it's WH and not HOL um, too, because we are still, you know, we're trained clinicians. Um, we're, we're trained with evidence. And so we still, a lot of what we do is based in Western medicine. Um, but we just strongly believe in and are passionate about um, all of the, the lifestyle factors that support being a healthy whole person. Um, in terms of COVID, I agree. I, certainly not the space for a political debate. No. Um, we wear our masks. I, I personally am a fan of Dr. Felsey's. You know, he's been around a long time. Um, he's a very smart very fast. He, he's very, very well published um, and, and well respected in the medical world. Um, for me, you know, in the beginning of COVID, a lot of what I did and how I lived was driven by fear. Mm -hmm. um, I went into this 
panic mode of, oh my God, I'm going to get sick. I'm not going to be here for my family. What do I do to avoid that from happening? And so anything that was evidence-based that, you know, said, this is how you stay well, well, that's what I'm doing. So I'm wearing my masks. I'm washing my hands. Um, you're taking care it, of yourself, building, yeah. doing the six things similar that you had said, you're resting yeah. well, you're eating well. Yeah. But after a certain point, when I realized that this wasn't going away anytime soon, I also realized that I can't live in fear. I can't let fear be the driving factor because guess what? The stress is going to get me sick faster than the disease. And in fact, when this all started and I was, you know, constantly Googling things and reading every article and every Facebook post from the COVID groups I was in, it was like, it was literally driving me insane. And so I'd come to the point where I was like, okay, I need to stop and I need to figure out how to live my life in a way that is protecting myself and my family, but also keeping me from going absolutely insane. Um, and so for me, that is doing all of the things that you're hearing about, wash your hands, um, limit your social contacts, um, it being in the hospital, um, as consultants and as particularly as palliative consultants, what we do, it doesn't depend necessarily on a physical exam unless we're, you know, talking about treating symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of what we do is talking to patients and families. So we are blessed enough to have a very supportive program. Um, we have both been able to do a lot of telehealth. And so we have found that balance of staying in work, staying safe, providing for our families and keeping from going totally insane. Yes. Um, what about staying off of social media? What if you guys feel the stigma of staying away and because it can get very overwhelming? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a balance. Um, and I also think it matters, kind of matters who you follow. Um, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people on social media and also have more time now. And they're just kind of in my mind, adding to the worsening situation in America adding fuel to the fire. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. And, and I think that's just, it's just really sad. I mean, again, I come from Canada and it's just like a, a bordering country yet. Like the way the two countries are handling COVID mm -hmm. uh, are so vastly different. Um, and so I think, you know, personally for me, you know, uh, I actually was supposed to be scheduled for a pretty big surgery in June. Um, like I said, because of my genetic mutation, I was actually going to have a preventative mastectomy and hysterectomy in June. Um, so much of January and February, we spent seeing doctors, planning, anxiety, fear, along my aspect. Mm -hmm. aspect. And then all of a sudden, beginning of March came and COVID hit. And now all of a sudden, the surgery, the genetic, genetic mutation got put aside. And now all of a sudden, it was like, okay, my husband is a critical care doctor. He's about to be in the trenches. Um, he's going to move out for several weeks at a time. Um, our family's all in Canada. Oh, crap, we need to do our estate planning and our guardianship, you know, papers that have been completed sitting on our desk for months. And all of a sudden overnight, we got them done. So as soon as my husband had his first COVID patient, he moved out. Um, and so kind of just to protect our nanny to protect me, and I started working from home. Um, and so it was just, it was, it was pretty wild. Um, I think, like Carly said, for the first time, my husband and I as doctors, and we've been in the field now for a little while, for the first time, we feared for our own lives doing what we know best. And yet at the same time, it, morally, we knew that that's where we needed to be to help people. Um, and so I think that's been the biggest struggle is kind of watching people fight so hard 
the social distancing and the masks because it's kind of like I wish sometimes just for a single day people could come and shadow Carly and I to see what we do and also or my husband to see what he does because it's just it's incredibly difficult um because we of course all have young families and um emotionally it's very difficult um seeing I, I don't think Carly and I have seen this much death in such a short period of time like people I'm so sorry that you guys are going that you guys are on the front line so number one thank you thank you yeah. um and i'm sorry you know people come in and and they're doing okay and then all of a sudden it's like they're in the icu and they just tank you know so it's uh, for us professionally the heart of what we've always done is sitting face to face with families like we're we're big on kind of that reassuring touch if, if a patient needs a hug if a family member needs a hug like we're those people we're the huggers right um, and now all of a sudden we kind of transition to this telehealth model. So now we're, again, talking about mostly end of life care in, in a world where there's zero visitor policies in our hospital. So patients are dying alone in the ICU and we're on camera with the families talking about, okay, what would your mom, what would your son, what would your husband want? Um, and really figuring out, okay, how are you going to say goodbye? And a lot of that was over video. A lot of that, even when we were able to get permission from the president for this person to come say bye to their dying loved one, it was like, okay, you have 15 minutes and only one person can come. Like, I don't even think I have the words to describe how many of those situations we've dealt with over the last like few months. Um, wow. So I, I think, um, at the same time though, with COVID, what's been really surprising to me is it's kind of, it's like the world telling us all like, not even telling us, just forcing us to just stop. Like for the first time, like we all have very unique situations still, but like for the first time ever, the earth and the universe has just been like, okay, everyone just stop, right? And I think that's just been incredible because more people have kind of turned to mindfulness, have been have turned to trying to do better and learn more. And, and then of course, with all of the other stuff, you know, that has been going on, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, all of that, I, I think people, their, their thinking is just shifting. They're, they wanna, they, their habits are shifting. They're vocalizing their feelings. Like people are saying things that, that cause that are very vulnerable, but they're still speaking up. And so I think that's been pretty incredible. Yes. Yeah. Um, from a, from a, like from a, and then from a public health standpoint, I think it's COVID has brought to light, like I was saying, all of those epidemics that have been longstanding in this country for a very long time. So the patients that we were seeing again with COVID are not necessarily old people that everyone keeps saying, well, I'm young, I'm fine. But what we don't realize is that 75% of this country is overweight and, and obese. And those are the, the people that ha are overweight and obese are, are the highest risk of severe COVID-related illness. So I personally have taken care of a handful of people in their 30s who died of COVID. Um, and, and that was their biggest risk factor. And so again, it kind of ties back to this whole conversation of like, what has this pandemic taught us? We're not even out of it yet, but like, what has it taught us is like, like we need to get to the root causes of these diseases because I can also tell you that this is probably not going to be the first pandemic that we're going to see. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I just, yeah, sometimes I just wish people could see what we see. It wouldn't be so like, I think, you know, people who are anti mask um, or, you know, feeling that the, 
the government is controlling us by saying that we have to social distance, if they could see what the things we've seen, they would understand that this is certainly a very real thing going on. This is not a made up disease. Um, it's wild. I've never seen people this sick in my career. Um, and so I, I, I feel like, and, and I don't want anybody to have to see what we see. I wouldn't wish that on anybody or their loved one, but if they could kind of get a glimpse into our mind or like Simran said, be with us for a day, they may understand why, um, people are voicing so strongly, you know, opinions in favor of wearing masks and using certain precautions. And I'm glad you ladies came on to express that because, um, like you said, someone like Dr. Fauci, who is published, been, I mean, God, what, since the 70s, you know, as, as far as far as, and I forget his title, um, and excuse me of my ignorance of certain, you know, terminology and things, but because um, I think it is important and there's not enough of people in the um I guess healthcare field coming out and speaking like this, you know, of, of, of saying, hey, this is real, this is what's going on, this is what we're going through, this is what we're seeing. Um, so I guess I, I will ask, because we're in July 25th, what have you, what have, what do you want to take away after all of this? Or what do you hope people take away after this? And I think you kind of, you kind of mentioned it, Simran, when you said um, people are kind of seeing like they have to be mindful and things like that. But what else, uh, or what I should say, what have you learned and what are you hoping to take away after all of this? Um, I think for me personally, you know, I've had a lot of personal growth that COVID itself has taught me a lot about human beings in general, you know, more than I had already concluded from just my experience working in healthcare. Um, and so it has really, you know, people have shown their true colors through all of this um, in many different ways. Some people are, you know, doing really, really good things. And some people are, are you know, have surprised me personally by their actions. Um, and so I think a lot of it has taught me um, personal growth in terms of being strong and being resilient um, that, you know, we can, when we work together for the greater good, we can really make changes. Um, like Simran said, it has caused me personally to slow down, which has given me more time to really appreciate my family, um, appreciate the the friends that I have in my circle and how valuable they are to me, sure. um, and to have more time to focus on myself. You know, I, I've developed a, a, a pretty solid routine of waking up in the morning, every single morning and working out, which is not something that I did before. I, I've always been pretty active, but I didn't do it in a, a solid, predictable way. You know, each morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that has led to a lot of just personal growth within. Um, and as difficult as this time is, I'm also very thankful for it, for all the lessons that it, it really is, is teaching me and my family. Awesome. What about you, Emily? I think uh, it's interesting. So I, I, I think looking back now, um, I spent, again, much of January and February just planning for something that was a few months away, which, oh, you know, we, we spent a lot of time, you know, talking about the what ifs. And so I think the biggest thing COVID has taught me and, and, and it's just a good perspective in life um, in general is just you know, and we tell this, tell this to our patients all the time, which is a funny thing. So you hope for the best and you plan for the worst and then everything in between, you just, you know, you, and you control what you can. And so I think, I think that's kind of my, the biggest personal takeaway for me. Um, and, and, um, professionally as a palliative care doctor, I, I guess 
I wouldn't be one if I, I didn't mention advanced care planning. I mean, COVID has clearly brought to light the importance of advanced directives for everyone, um, healthcare workers, chronically ill people, um, young people, healthy people. I mean, again, we've seen a vast kind of variety of people come in with this disease. And so discussing end of life wishes when someone is in the hospital and they're very, very sick is extremely difficult because the anxiety and the fear that they have, it, it kind of clouds their ability to make an informed decision and, and for them to think clearly. And so, you know, this virus or even just the flu, like, you know, people, healthy people die from the flu too. So anything can happen at any time. And so it's just important, I think, to be prepared to write these things down and then you can just put it away, right? Um, and it's free to complete. It doesn't mean anything. And I'll tell you from the other side of the bed, um, as a physician, the biggest gift is actually to your family because God forbid, if you are, are seriously ill in an ICU, it's usually the families that struggle the most with making the decisions. I don't know what he would have wanted. I don't know what she would have wanted. And so it's truly a gift. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing. And then I, I think, you know, the pandemic's going to end eventually. But again, like I said, all these underlying long-standing epidemics that we've had um, need more attention. Um, the, 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 thing that we can both attest to over the last four months is that African Americans and minorities have clearly been affected more um, than with COVID than any other population of people. And that is because most of them suffer from more chronic disease. Um, and so the, what we need to work towards on a whole level, I think, is correcting the health disparities, the inequities amongst our population, um, and then use the power of lifestyle medicine as kind of the solution to prevention and treatment and reversal of all of these chronic illnesses that are an epidemic. Um, and as you stated from before, um, of incorporating the six elements um, that seem, again, so, so simple, um, but everyday life and I know for me with COVID, what taught me is, yeah, I had to stop, you know, I'm a professional, I'm an accountant. Um, so I had to kind of just stop. Um, and it was wonderful, just wonderful. Um, I'm thankful for that in that way. Obviously, I know it's crazy and I would never imagine and say, you know, to have to go through, but I'm just thankful that that's what I was able to take from it. But, you know, I think those elements are so very important. And I, and I think the more conversations like this, um, you know, you guys putting the content out there, it will help because it is passed from one person to the next. You can reach millions and millions of people. Um, and before we go, I want you to repeat what they are as well, you know, um, but I want to kind of get into the get to know you section, kind of do some fun stuff. Um, cause I know we've talked about some heavy things and like you said, your, your profession, you know, um, is, uh, you know, can be draining and with all that's been going on. So what are you both kidding? Whoever answers first, what's your favorite movie? Mine has always been um, the old school Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, really? That's awesome. All my favorite. Love it. <laughs> it's weird. I, I don't know. I just, I totally love it. No, it's a classic. It is. I don't know if I have a favorite movie. Grew up playing basketball and I was like a big time baller. <laughs> so probably love and basketball it's like probably the one movie i could watch over and over oh my again. god my husband would love you that's one of his favorites so yes that's awesome great movie too um favorite book how not to die <laughs> <laughs> 
I need to read that book now. Have you ever heard of Clean by Dr. Junger? Which one? Clean by Dr. I think it's Junger. It's basically, which you guys can look it up, but um, it helped my husband and I kind of transition as well uh, into eating healthier and, and taking care of your body and finding out what works for your body because there are things I could be allergic to or things that affect me that don't affect you, right? Um, very interesting book, but I do want to get How Not to Die. Well, the thing is, sometimes like reading um, and listening to audiobooks can be really boring, especially if it's science. Yeah. Um, you know, studies can be really boring sometimes. But the thing is, if you ever hear him speak, he's so entertaining and he yeah. does all his own audiobooks. So he's come out with a series now. It's like How Not to Die, How Not to Diet, and How to Survive a Pandemic. And it's, he goes into the history of pandemics in this country and in the world. And it's just like, it, his books are just phenomenal. And he's so much fun to listen to. Okay, I'm like a, a total Dr. Gregor nerd. His voice is like meditative for me. Oh, nice. I'll have to check it out. And when I post it, I'll get, you know, the title and the author and all of that. What's your favorite indulgences? What do you have to have? What makes you feel good that, you know, you need to do? Like in terms of food or? Anything. anything. Some people say reality TV that they just need it. Some people say wine. Some people say chocolate. <laughs> yeah. I'm, Simran knows this about me. One of my favorite things ever is coffee. I really, I drink it mostly black. Um, but, but once, probably once a week uh, on my way to work, I'll treat myself to a soy milk latte, which is really enjoyable for me. Um, and then my other thing that um, I'm going to admit this out loud, my, my husband and I have discovered since the pandemic, we don't make videos, but we love to watch them as TikTok. <laughs> I really love to watch TikTok. So it's like our thing before we go to bed at night, we lay in bed and watch TikTok videos and just like crack up laughing. Um, so that's been super fun. That's cool. I don't think I have like one indulgence where it's like, I have to have something um but I, you know i love dark chocolate um i i love pasta um it's like my jam um and i love pizza um so it's it's been really fun actually trying to kind of come up with like vegan versions of my favorite food i've really like really gotten into cooking over the last two years it's like what my one of my favorite things to do yeah. If you follow our, we have individual accounts where we share a lot more recipes than we do in mm. our joint account. Um, if you follow us individually, you'll see a lot of, Simran makes super fun stuff. I am a little more traditional, um, but we really both enjoy, I think, cooking and sharing recipes. That's awesome. No, especially for moms. Come on. That's what we need. We need all, we need all of it in the bank. Right. I know I do. As many in the bank as possible. Right. Kombucha. I've been into kombucha lately. Oh, yeah. Oh, kombucha. kombucha. And there's one brand that I like, one flavor. It's like a raspberry berry one that's my absolute favorite. My yeah. son loves kombucha. Um, he's like, drinking kombucha? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, of course, you want to give him a little, but he does enjoy it. Um, what has motherhood taught you? Oh, man. Ooh, I see your face. Everyone always with this, every time I ask this question, they're like, whoo, loaded question, because I know it's very encompassing. For me, I think it's, a, a big thing that I learned was to advocate and to speak up. You know, we teach our patients this all the time is to advocate for yourself. But um, I've been through, you know, several experiences in motherhood in particular. Both of my kids had RSV as infants. Um, and those experiences were really life-changing for me. My youngest son was really, really sick in the ICU. And um, just learning how to advocate myself for myself and my kids and to speak up when I feel like something is not right. That's not something that I, I would have always done in my lifetime. 
Um, I'm pretty introverted. Um, and so I, I don't tend to be very confrontational unless I feel very, very passionately about it. And so I think I'm a lot better now at speaking up for what is right, um, not only for myself and my kids, but for other people. That's awesome. Um, and to care less about what other people think. You know, I, I do me, I do what I think is best for my family. Um, when people question it, I'm happy to, I answer in an educated way. Um, but I just, I, I try not to let other people's influences or opinions bother me. Um, and that's not who I was before I had children. That's awesome. Um, I think for me, the three words that come to mind are gratitude, strength, and resilience. Um, you know, Tony Robbins says you can't be grateful and fearful at the same time. And so gratitude has become a big part of my life. Um, and so it's just the littlest things are when you take zoom out, you know, 10,000 feet are actually really, really big things, you know, for the ability for us to walk, the ability for us to have good food to eat, for me to have had my children so easily. Like there's just so many things that people struggle with that I, once I entered motherhood, just kind of. And also what I do just kind of, you know, came to light for me that like, wow, we really are so blessed. So I, 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 that's really a big thing for me and, and the health of my children. Um, strength and resilience is just kind of like every time I think I can't do something, I turn around and surprise myself. It's like, damn, women are so freaking awesome. Like, I, I'll tell you one specific story. And this one, like, will never leave me. I had a patient who was dying. Um, in the hospital and she was super short of breath like she was so short of breath and her partner refused to send her to inpatient hospice and this is a patient that Carly and I had known for like months because we were seeing her she was so sick and so she refused to go to our inpatient hospice and so Carly and I were like all right let's do this like she's dying we're gonna have to take care of her here and all you know she had like 10 people in her room her partner was like really anxious and distressed with what was happening and I Carly and I were both breastfeeding at the time and so we like tag team it's like okay you go pump so she pumped and I stayed there and then she came back and I was like all right I'm gonna go I actually got the willow pump so I popped my pumps in there and I came back and I was pumping as we were taking care of this actively dying patient the family was there, the nurses was there, were there. It's like, okay, yes, more pain medication. Okay, yes, more medication for shortness of breath. Like, and like at the end of it, like I was like, all right, I pumped. So my kid's, my kid's gonna be good and the patient's comfortable. And oh my God, like we actually just did that while we were breastfeeding and we are so badass. And yeah. so I think like, you know, women carry like so much on their shoulders and, and I do think it's appreciated. I love my husband. He gives me so much credit for what I do, but like, you know, working, pregnancy, labor, breastfeeding, and then just taking care of a house. Uh, you know, it's just like, it is just mind blowing to me what we can do. And That's so true. I think I just, yeah, again, gratitude. You know, that's an amazing story. That is like the definition of badass. And that's actually got the chills because that's almost full circle, right? You're bringing life nutrition to your children and you're helping this person who's like, oh my God, I got the chills. Like that's crazy. Um, but beautiful and how, you know, life works, right? Life goes on. You, you have to do what you have to do for your family. Um, but at the same time, you know, making sure that this person is good on their last, you know, however long it's supposed to be of their, their days on this earth. So, wow. Yeah, that's, 
that's a suit. <laughs> you need to tell that story to everybody. Um, yeah, it's one of our favorites. <laughs> um, so I know you mentioned some self-care things that you guys do, especially because of your career. So I don't know if you wanted to touch base a little bit more, if there's some more you wanted to say on it um, for moms. But I did also want to kind of end this with any advice or last words that you guys have um, for the podcast world out there. So it's kind of a twofold. If you want to mention some extra things that, you know, you feel are important or that you think moms should know that have helped you, um, or if not, just kind of, you know, some last words, you know, that you want to kind of share. And I do thank you. Thank you both for coming on and sharing your story and, and your truth and, um, you know, informing me and, you know, allowing your, your voice to be heard in the podcast world. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I think you'll hear a lot of moms say this, but um, my biggest thing is that you find your tribe. Um, that could be family, that could be chosen family. Um, Simran and I are in the same tribe. Um, she thinks she's Indian. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I mean mom tribe. Um, yes. <laughs> no, not, um, like, not like native Indian. So no, I'm, I know. I'm, I'm, very, yes. I'm <laughs> South Asian. Viewers don't know, but I know. <laughs> I'm South Asian Indian. And so, yeah, Carly, yes. Carly definitely like in, internally has some South Asian Indian roots. Like my husband, he's French Canadian, as white as can be, but like, you know, he's got some like South Asian in him. Awesome. <laughs> but, you know, just find the people that will surround you and uplift you and support you and, you know, who you can ask questions without fear of judgment or backlash, um, you know, or anything like that. Just even if it's one person, just just latch onto that one person and hold them close and don't let them go because there are still wonderful people out there. And I think, you know, each and every one of us, you know, hopefully if we're blessed enough can find at least one person that we can really consider our soulmate, best friend, you know, whatever, um, to help navigate life with. That's awesome. No, absolutely. I'd say just, you know, you do you, like Carly said, you know, you are your biggest advocate. And I think in motherhood, the thing is, there's just so much out there, right? And what works, you know, for one kid is definitely not going to work for the next kid. And that may even be for your own children. You know, what worked with my first may not work with my second. And so you work, you use the word grace. And so I think you just have to be graceful and just give yourself that space to know that things will work out. So like with my second, you know, I'm not even worrying about potty training. Cause again, I know he's not going to go to college in a diaper, so we're going to be okay. So we'll just take it one day at a time and, and just, you know, like, Everyone has an opinion about everything and I think that's okay, but do take what you need and let go of the rest, right? Um, so I think that's, that's really important. And at the same time, one of the things that have been very empowering for me is um, in this world of social media, I, I think it's, there is definitely downsides to it, but there's also the power of connection. Um, we're all so unique, but there is definitely people out there who share our similar story who are going through something similar to us and I encourage people to reach out and find those people not and I'm not even I'm, this is like beyond your tribe like you know Carly's my person day to day we we go to each other for struggles and everything but like even beyond that like there are people out there that are going through like the exact same thing you're going through and that can be so empowering um so with my own you know my own BRCA story, I, I have never really shared it. And over the last four months, I have, and I've put it out there and I've connected with people, with South Asian young women 
who have had the similar story to me and it's been so empowering and it's helped me with my fear and my anxiety to know that everything's going to be okay. That's why I would encourage moms to do that. Just like reach out in this like super connected digital world that we have. It's not all bad. Like there is good, right? There is good. And I think that's really important um, to, to, to mention because I think there there could be a lot of negativity and of course there's trolls and people on there who for whatever reason um, want to stir the pot but there is a lot of good out there there's a lot of people who um, like you said are going through the same things you're going through um, who have positive content out there um, and you follow those those that kind of mean that I, like I was telling Carly when we first started on um, on here is um, how I, I don't even know how I came upon your ladies page um, but it was empowering and I was like oh that's why I reached out because I was like I need to talk to them and figure out what their story is and I feel these kind of conversations are so important um, because we have the platform to do it right um, this can even if it reaches one person and it changes one person's mentality especially as you said brown and black um, brown and black communities minority communities that's that's huge you know if it can change someone to say you know what um that inspired me and now i want to change whether it's my diet so before we end say the six things again that are um that are super important to wellness so whole food plant-based diet um moving or exercise um sleeping um avoiding risky substances and stress management and healthy healthy relationships. Awesome. All right, ladies, thank you so much. This is a pleasure. I I appreciate it and good luck, you know, being you guys I know are on the front lines, especially your husband. So thank you again for all that you do and you know, thank you. Take care. Thank you for having Thanks. us. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Mama's No Best. We got something to say podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on the platform you're listening on. Tune in next time to hear another fierce mama share her story. Continued blessings to you all for love and light.